0: We ready? Ready.
1: Good to go, guys.
0: Welcome in DNR College Football Report. Dave Meyer, Grandy Heights, Reeves, Mitchell. Uh, Guys coming off a a different-looking Oklahoma team that played West Virginia and Norman Saturday night. Very important game, I thought, y'all, as uh, last season kind of got off the rails. It looked like this one had a chance. Then the first drive of the game, West Virginia takes it, you know, 75 yards. Didn't have much resistance. They go up 7 nothing. as Reeves told me after the game. I felt it, too. The crowd was a little on edge, getting a little antsy, like, here we go again. I thought the response from Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriel, Drake Stoops, Danny Stutzman, the leaders really showed why they are leaders. Oklahoma gets the win. Comes back and now has a, uh, well, a, a tough task in Provo, we all thought, coming into the year. Doesn't look quite as daunting now, but... Get, get a big win Saturday against uh, the Mountaineers, Reeves.
2: Yeah, and what did we say all week? I mean, the key for this game, especially for me, was starting early in this game. And now West Virginia, you're right, they got the 7-0 lead early, so that wasn't a good start. But OU was able or still able to win the first quarter 14-7. And then uh, they won the second quarter 17-7, so they were up comfortably at half. I just thought – Besides that first drive, the start was very key for OU. I mean, the offense was good from the beginning. There wasn't turnovers in the beginning. They are playing crisp football and just getting back to, you know, what made them successful earlier in the year.
1: You know, I, I think the first drive, we can all look at that and talk about it, but it, it shows scripted drives by the opposing team. It makes a world of difference. I mean, it's hard for teams to adjust. They, I'm not going to say they went out and showed anything fancy, but they came out and they did some things, and all of a sudden Oklahoma adjusted that, and in the rest of the game. I mean, until the game was in hand, and I guess late in the first half, but even then it was kind of in hand. You know, West Virginia does nothing offensively. It's a credit to that defense and what they were able to do. The defense that has been riddled with injuries. I mean, let's be real. They, they've got some guys back. Stutzman makes a world of difference, and I, I'm one yet again that I've been on the Connect, doesn't need to play as much. You know, you use Lewis and Stutzman a lot. You see McKenzie in there a lot. And I'm not ripping connect. I He's learning the position. I get that. But it's like that's kind of where I'm like, all right, now they're starting to use the guys that are actual, actual, actual if I could speak, <laughs> actual natural linebackers in there, and it was able to help out Danny a little more. You know, and, and I thought that defense overall – Played a really good game. Woody had one or two times where he kind of got caught in bad spots. But other than that, defensive backs didn't get beat. They didn't beat themselves. That was the biggest difference.
0: Yeah, I thought the front four, the front seven in general did a great job against West Virginia's run game. That, to me, coming in was going to be the key because they got a couple good running backs, plus Green as a mobile quarterback. I thought if West Virginia could keep themselves in good situations, you know, third and three, third Mm -hmm. and two, they could control the clock. Oklahoma did a great job on first and second down of forcing them to, to be out of their comfort zone, and I thought when Green did pass, coverage was there on the back end, as you say, even missing Gentry at one cornerback spot. Uh, no, a really good day for OU's defense. They hold West Virginia to 330 yards total offense and only seven points in the second half.
2: Yeah, and West Virginia was trying to run Garrett Green, like you're talking about, a little bit. I mean, he had 10 rushes, but only 24 yards, so really good in that department. And then Donaldson, who's their, you know, probably all Big 12 running back, 14 carries for 80 yards. And then the touchdown that came on the first drive of the game. So you did a pretty good job if you're OU on these, you know, top-tier players for West Virginia. If you're able to shut them down make the other guys on that offense that's not an elite offense make plays, then you're probably going to be in a pretty good spot. So I was pleased with the defense overall. And getting back to Jaron Canick, I don't think he entered the game until the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, but he finished with five tackles, four solo, two for loss. Yeah, I, re- I yeah.
2: remember one of my buddies pointing out to me that he's in the game, and I think that's his first time he's been in the game tonight. But
1: Well, and I think what we're learning, and it'll be interesting to see, let's move on from this year, and I know we'll have all off season to talk about it and everything, but what they end up doing with Kinnak, because I, I, I think he's a guy that's a factor in this defense. He's he's a freak athlete. He can do a lot of stuff. I kind of wonder if they don't start making that move to the cheetah position. You know, he came in with McKinsey and Lewis and those guys, admittedly so, according to Venables last year, you know, just weren't picking everything up as fast, as quick as everyone needed to. And Jaron was. You know, so now that those guys have picked up, you kind of wonder, is that where you start making a move with him a little more out to that cheetah position and he and McCullough can maybe rotate out? I know Harrington's coming back. Yeah. But still, you know, is that kind of what maybe happens in the offseason? Because with his type of speed, you could even use him as kind of an edge rusher. Yeah, I mean... And you he, know, not as a full-fledged defensive end, but just kind of go, go beat the guy speed-wise around the end. You mean McCullough? No, Connect.
0: Well, I'm talking... Well, both I'm, of them, I'm yeah. Talking, I'm going to say McCullough, man. Move him to the edge. Because, I mean, they're lacking pass rushers off the edge right now.
2: Yeah, and I will say, I, I don't hate that idea, Randy. My only concern with it would be, Jaron has not been great in pass coverage this exactly. year. So, in those cheetah spots, when you're, you know, manning a guy up, I think he would struggle in those positions. But... Man, he he is fast, and he can tackle, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him in the offseason because McCullough's had a very good year at Cheetah. But, I mean, it's hard to ask a guy to play that position every snap of every game because that is a daunting position, and you're you're having to do a lot. And
1: I will say this with the Cheetah position and McCullough. I still think Venable sees Isaiah Simmons in him because of his speed, his size, and everything like that. I kind of don't think he's going to move him. But I like what you were saying, Dave. If you did, you move him to the edge. But And they've got a lot of edge guys coming in in the recruiting class. So, I mean, that's the other thing. When we're factoring all this stuff in, we're talking about guys currently on the roster. We don't know what some of these incoming guys are going to look like.
0: I just thought preseason, everybody's talking about Deshaun at Cheetah. I thought, man, 6'5", 232. That's a tough ask to cover slot guys, which mm-hmm. Cheetah has to do. And he struggled with that, guys. There was a reason he didn't start the year as the starter there. It was Harrington. And he had five sacks as a true freshman in the Big Ten, playing defensive end. That's an area Oklahoma is not getting much production right now. Makes sense to me. I think they leave Kanik at backer. I, I just, he's. I mean, he came out and said preseason. I didn't even know where to, you know, line up and how to put my feet in this spot. Right. This is his first year doing it, and he well, has, second year. Second year. Well, playing actually being out there on the field, starting. I guess would be my.
1: No, he started last year. At backer. Yeah. Yeah, he and injure- Jerry. That was last year he was talking about. Ian Stutzman were the that starters last year.
0: was.
1: Well, no, it was. They had three linebackers last year, and it, was, it went back and forth. But Kanak was in there a lot as starting linebacker.
0: Okay, well, I'll say I mean,
1: both of them. But I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I think he's still very raw. Is is the point, and that's that's just where I see his natural spot. And when he when he does flash and, and looks really good, I mean, he looks like one of those linebackers we remember like the rocky Kalmus and teddy layman it's just learning the spot but you well, know the, the learning curve steepens a little bit next year as they jump to the well SEC. and
1: dave that's why i kind of wondered about cheetah for him because he is learning it i mean you got two guys that are exceptional talents right now in kip lewis and kobe mckenzie and i think because of the injury situation right now probably stutzman coming back yeah you know that yeah. would that would be my guess i mean but everything we all know that can all change if he has a Great last three, four games of the season. He plays himself right back into the NFL draft. But if you have those three coming back, maybe you can let Kanak play a position that might be a little more natural to him. We talk about the pass coverage because that's been my criticism as well, Reeves. But what if he's more natural there and doesn't have to think as much that he has to think of at the linebacker position? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a coach. None of us are coaches. We don't get to see what they do in practice. But I kind of wonder if that would help him in the pass coverage.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a reason they see him in practice and they, they put him there, right? That's that's just my guess on it, my take. I mean, I I, I like him at linebacker, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. I like
2: him. I mean, I think out of the, all those linebackers this year, he's had the weakest season, I would say. I mean, I think Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis have stepped in and played a lot better than him. Well,
0: smaller sample size. But a lot yeah.
2: smaller sample size, you're right. But there's been moments where I'm like, man, are these guys behind him better? But... Dave, I agree with you in that. I mean, he just looks like a natural linebacker. He looks like a guy you need to have out there, so I understand having him out there. The pass coverage worries me a little bit, and there's been a few moments this year where he shies away from contact a little bit, and that's a little bit concerning because that's something like a Stutzman never does. I mean, you know, he's trying to take that contact head-on, but – as Jaron gets more and more comfortable in this defense, I mean, I only think he's gonna improve. So he's a guy I really want to stick around. I don't wanna see him go. I don't want to see him think about transferring or anything like that. I think he's someone that Brent can use in this defense for years to come and like I just said, I really think he's only gonna get better. Well let's
0: go back to Stutzman's first couple of years, play yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean he it looks like ugly. A, yeah, he it looks ugly. He, he looked very ugly. Something mm-hmm. like let's let's give Kanik a little time to to work with Brent, let Brent work with him, see what happens. But guys I can't deny reality. I mean, Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis, they play really good linebacker when they're out there, and they're natural at it. So yeah, that, that's going to be something to really keep an eye on as they go into off. And
1: regardless, how about this? Why uh, We're spending a lot of time on Sunday, the future <laughs> when we're trying to recap a game. Regardless, they have a lot of depth. That's right. the key, and that and that's what's positive. And I, I think all of them stay this year. I think the question mark, the last thing on this before we move back to the game, in my opinion, it's not so much this year, it's that following year. Sure. what guys decide, all right, you know, does Jaron decide to leave? Does Kip decide to leave? Does McKenzie? Because they've got some linebackers coming in as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's the thing. They, they're they recruiting, so it'll be really interesting. And I think in the transfer portal era, it's going to be a lot of ways of, what have you done for me lately? Not that they're going to usher people out, but we're, sure. those guys see the riding on the wall going, oh, they're bringing in this guy, and they're going to go through a spring ball with him and go, yeah, I'm probably going to be replaced by game four or five, whoever it is. Right. And they're going to decide to leave over the summer. I mean, it, it's going to be one of those. It's going to be an interesting area. The portal's been fun these first few years just because everyone gets in right after the season. I think we're going to start getting to that point now where a lot of guys will stay through the spring to go, I'm the starter. I'm going to be the guy. And then all of a sudden that big freshman is going to come in there that's going to enroll early and they're going to be like, oh, crap. I'm not um, him. I'm out. Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: All right, well, we can thank Randy Heights for uh, taking us down that rabbit hole of Jaron Canick. Uh, Yeah, getting back to the West Virginia game. Look, a lot of people are kind of overlooking this. Like, yeah, good game, they won. To me, it was a very important game, man, because it shows, look, this is not last year. There are improvements being made. And, guys, there were question marks the last two weeks. Is there really improvement?
1: Yeah, no doubt, Reeves. I mean, look at this team. People were throwing them under the bus. Like, it's done, season's over. Let's not move forward. I mean, last week, people were going, start Jackson Arnold the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. We saw after Saturday, the reason you don't, and this isn't ripping Jackson Arnold, but the reason you leave your main guy in there. Oklahoma now, when you go through a, so many scenarios, I forget the gentleman's name, put out a spreadsheet. He went through a, through that little website he sent you guys yesterday for the tiebreakers. Yeah, Out of like nine scenarios he put out there that were just realistic scenarios, not just you need Cincinnati to win the final three games of the season. You know, some crazy scenario. Right. OU only misses the Big 12 title in two of those. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's still there. They've got to take care of their own business. But that's why it's like, it's crazy how big that game was. Just almost, I think, get the team to realize that. Maybe there was some doubt creeping in on them. But going out and manhandling handling West Virginia Reeves, I think that's a huge statement for this team. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think there's a couple things as to why the OU fan base as a whole was kind of down on the season. I mean, obviously, this fan base does not tolerate lots losses, and they don't tolerate them to can- the Kansases and the Oklahoma States of the world. Mm-hmm. But the playoff being out the window really hurt some people because I think after that Texas game, most of us around the OU football program were expecting to be the four seed. Or at least, you know, go into the Big 12 championship game probably zero losses and be playing for a spot in the playoff. So when that's out the window, you know, you start looking, is this season really worth anything anymore? But what OU fans have to realize is compare this season to last year and think how much of an improvement it is. And if you're able to win these last two games, it was three last week, now two, that's a 10-win season coming off a 6-6 and season. And, guys, I know OU – The OU fan base, they should always be in the playoff. They should always be winning championships. I agree with that. It's a blue blood program. But still, you have to be realistic. This is a second-year head coach, and he's never been a head coach anywhere. So you've got to give him time. And you cannot underestimate a four-win improvement from the last year when everything didn't go your way last year. I mean, the turnovers weren't going, going your way. Everything just seemed like it spiraled. And then you compare it to this year where you do lose two bad games in a row, but what do you do after? How do you respond? And how is it different from last year? So you got to look at the bigger picture, man. I know OU fans are always going to want the team playing in the national championship and the playoff and the Big 12 title, and I agree with that. But at the same time, let's look at this realistically and let's look at the improvement that they've had to last year.
0: Yeah, and guys, let's not forget, I mean, Brent stepped into a shit show. Yeah, of a college football program that Lincoln Riley left, and so the the rebuild and trying to get that culture, that toughness back, that's been a total revamp job. And I, I mean, look, it was natural to start questioning what's going on there the last few weeks. You know, they lose to Kansas, lose to OSU. Is this is last year going to happen again? Is maybe Brent the right guy? Well, what's going on? So that's why I think, and and I keep going back to last week was a very vital game, Randy.
1: No doubt, and I'm telling you, the rebuild's more than one year. Sure. Go back and look at Riley. Look at his last few years, and I'm not just bagging on him now because that's what Oklahoma fans want to do, but his last year here, Oklahoma wasn't great. I mean, even with Caleb Williams, and we've seen, you know, they lost to Oklahoma State. They, You know, they had some bad games. What you got to see is the progress, to your point, Reeves. Look how bad the defense was in Riley's last year. And then they took some players, you know, some players left. Brent had to rebuild that defense. It was even worse last year. But look at how the defense has improved this year. You know, basically in a two-year window, they went from what USC has right now as a defense to a competent defense that knows how to make stops. It's year two. Look at the offense. As much as everyone wants to bag on it, it's still a top-10 offense. And you've got maybe your better quarterback waiting in the wings? Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's why I never understood why people were jumping off the ship after two years. I mean, hey, it sucked watching them lose two games. But 10 and 2's in front of them. Yes. yes. Regardless if they make it to the Big 12 title game or they just wait for a bowl game, 10 and 2's in front of them with who they've got left on the schedule.
0: Yeah, and you bring up people bagging the offense. I mean, Jeff Lebby, to me, the last two years has just become the scapegoat for this one. Ever anything goes wrong. And I think a lot of it has to do with the off the field stuff it does. before he was hired. Yeah. I mean, people have a conception of him in their mind. And so when the team isn't doing well, he becomes the guy they point to guys. He has a top five offense across the board in the country at Oklahoma this year. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know what people want.
2: Yeah. The last thing I'll say on this subject is another thing you have to factor in is OU football as a whole is an uncharted territory right now. Uh, something they've never been in, going to a new conference, you know, SEC on the horizon. Fans don't really know what to expect. You know, the last two years, all we can do is guess what's going to happen in the SEC, whatnot. When you lose to Kansas and Oklahoma State back-to-back, that makes, makes a lot of fans worried yeah. for the SEC because, hey, what do you have waiting next year? Right At Auburn, at Ole Miss, Bama at home, Tennessee at home, the list goes on. The totally leaguer. So, yeah. I mean, fans are thinking about that and saying, can OU even compete, you know? We're losing two games in the Big 12. Can we compete in the SEC? Well, man, you've got to look at the rebuild from an outsider perspective, not just from an OU lens. You got to look at it from an outside perspective. You got to get something rolling. You got to get the ball rolling. And a four win improvement. Pretty much any program in the country would take that.
0: Reeves, you and I got on preseason and and did a show, just you and I, talking about the the, the season coming up, and we said this was one of the most important seasons in OU football history. That wasn't just saying it to say it. For what you're talking about, they're about to jump to the toughest league on earth that's ever existed and to have confidence for the base, to have confidence for the players, the staff – this year needed to go well, and that's why I keep going
2: back yeah. to this week. Was and I also well. remember us saying, 10 wins, we need to be okay with that. Sure. They might uh-huh. drop two games, sure. but if they get to 10 wins, we are okay with that. And so cool. should the fan base.
1: And, and I think the other thing, the fan base and everyone needs to breathe and relax. I mean, whether you like to say it or not, their two losses are not quote-unquote bad losses. No. Oklahoma State, top 20 when they lost to them. Kansas, top 20 when they lost to them. I mean – Kansas, you put them in the SEC, and some of those teams we talk about. I mean, they're beating Mississippi State this year. They're sure. they're Bandy. competing. They with only the, lost to Texas Tech this week. Exactly, I mean, they, they, they would have won the game. They're competing with Mississippi, and I think Mississippi's good, but they're not world beaters. I mean, this team this year. I don't mean. Right. And that's, I guess, I think that's the other hard problem for Oklahoma fans to realize and separate.
0: This is not the old the, Kansas.
1: Yeah, this is not the old Kansas. It's not like when Texas lost to them, you know, <laughs> and the tight end got the Applebee's NIL deal. Yeah. It's not that different bad, deal. Kansas. I mean, they're a good team. I mean, Devin Nils, one of the best running backs in the country, and he proved it again on Saturday. I mean, so I think that's the other thing. So competing in the SEC, it's going to be different. But this step right now, going 10 and 2 to me, it's not just about competing in the SEC. I never really thought they were going to lose recruits. But you started wondering, if it did snowball, did some of those kids decide, maybe, oh, maybe this isn't going in the right direction? 10-2 is huge for them.
0: No, they still got to win the next two games. Right. We don't, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. It looks good on paper, but you know, but I,
2: it, it looked good to finish undefeated on paper see, after Texas. That's what yeah, I'm that's saying. I mean, no, let's be real with ourselves. We
0: can't get ahead of ourselves, guys. It's uh, there's nothing guaranteed in this day and age of college football. And like I've said before, we started this BYU plays Oklahoma tough, man, always through the history of college football. For whatever reason, maybe the '84 stuff with yeah. Barry Switzer plays into a little bit, but they they dig playing Oklahoma.
2: The last thing I want to just bring up real quick. The Jimbo firing should basically in in theory lock David Stone to OU or no? Oh, David Stone was going
1: nowhere. I'm yeah. telling you right now.
2: Yeah. I just heard a little bit of rumors, whispers that maybe that, he's one
1: f- one foot in, one foot out, but the real yeah, question yeah. is so you now yeah.
0: flip David Hicks. That's the that's question. the
1: question. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I and I know I those rumors were out there, but they were out there before he committed. Yeah, true. And people kept trying to say that about him for Miami. Right. Yeah. And true. then it was what Missouri as well. You know, I mean people were throwing out all sorts. David Stone's a kid that came back. He worked out in Oklahoma this past summer. There was talking him coming back and going to high school in Oklahoma.
2: Yeah, and he we, went to Dell City originally, yeah, right? He went yeah. to Dell
1: City and Westmore actually was the school that potentially he was gonna end up at that Yeah. year. So I mean he wants to come back home. But yeah. You know? And so that but I think your question, David it, Higgs. David Hicks.
0: Dindy. Not only, know, about to say. Not only Hicks. This opens up a world of possibilities. Mean, no. It also
2: opens up transfers. <laughs> right. That's what portal. I'm saying. Oh yeah. boy, guys. Uh, that anyway.
0: Oklahoma was just right there on that they lost a Yeah, think. and, and
1: I'll, I'll say this though. The scary part, as much as every Oklahoma fan can get excited, you know that, ooh, it's going to be a mass exodus to the portal from AM. Let me tell you, Texas is involved in that. LSU is involved yeah. in that. Alabama, Let's just say, Alabama. unfortunately. Oklahoma, let's say, unfortunately, strikes out on a lot of those guys, but those guys end up at LSU, Texas. You know, it's like all of a sudden that makes your heart road that much harder. That's why when everyone was wanting Jimbo out, I'm like, hey, let's all slow down here. Maybe Jimbo's staying there and just keeping those guys and going seven and five, that's good. You well, know, they, it say, depends I kind of wish we had
0: AM
2: to. on that first SEC schedule now.
0: Well, I mean, it, it, a lot depends on who they hire, too. If they get a splash hire, yeah. the I guys mean,
2: might stay. David will be a splash. It's AM. Yeah.
0: Well, I keep hearing Dan Lanning,
1: y'all.
2: I, I don't think, think he goes anywhere, not, but they're going to try. I denied it at the press conference, but so did Lincoln Riley. I was yeah. going
1: to say, deny at the press conference is the first sign he's going. Yeah. It's like, and I don't mean that just because of Riley. It, it's, it's tradition it's in college. I yeah. mean, you've got to say no. I don't know if he ends up there. My gut says he does. That was kind of the first name that popped up. Because Oregon can compete money wise, but at the can. same time, I don't know if they can.
2: Did you guys see they interviewed the UTSA coach asking him about the job opening, and he basically like non answered the question, basically implying like if they offered me, I'd probably go. Yeah, I don't blame. Like, them, I yeah. don't blame you, dude. Yeah. I don't blame I, you. I
1: think he and I think he's. A, to be honest with you guys, in Texas high school, yeah, I don't want him getting that job. He's he's like a Joey McGuire, huh? Where they
2: were entrenched and Yeah, except that he's court.
1: already succeeded as a head coach as opposed to McGuire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You Who know, and has. I'm not being mean, but I'm like... Hey, McGuire won seven straight yeah. to last year. Yeah, he, he, that's right. He's got a track record to go with it. And so I'm like, he's dangerous, but I think he's their safety net because we all know. Do you think those boosters are going to be happy if they go, hey, Coach Trailers, our new head coach? No. No, no. They need no. a
0: sexy, sexy hire. But is
1: need. Elko the sexy
2: hire? Because no. Because that seems like the most I, logistical hire, but I... I love the hire. I love the, I love hire. the hire. I'm are, like Are you. their fans really going to be? Hyped I don't about think so. That? No, that's no, why, that's There's no I, way.
1: That's why I'm saying those same donors that are ponying in how much of our money. What is it supposed to be like? Around 100, 130 million after the buyout of Jimbo and the assistants. Crazy. You think they're going to pony up 130 million? And you go, hey Elko, hey Trey. No, that's the only reason I say Landing is legit to me because they'll go. Here's another 130. Just go get Lanning.
0: Well, they're going to go after him. Now, whether – I don't think he goes, but it's going to be that kind of a name that they go after first. I'm with both of you guys. I think Elko is C guy.
1: I will say this, and I brought it up to Reeves. The only reason I think it's interesting to me, we were talking about it yesterday here in my office, I think, that I think he could go. Being in the Pac-12 was a great job for him, and you mentioned it to me, Reeves. He's kind of building an SEC team. Fully agree. Yeah. I think everything changes, though, when they go to the Big Ten. All of a sudden, just as good as it is, they're going to be able to recruit the Midwest and Lanning's going to be able to do that. Ohio State, Michigan, all of them that already have a teeny bit of foothold in California and the West Coast, that foothold gets a little stronger now.
0: Let me ask, what does A&M have a foothold in anything ever in the history of college football?
1: they don't have anything, but the one thing I'll agree with Josh Pate. They've never done it, but that is the biggest diamond in the rough and i think the they biggest all question the in the world but yeah, the but biggest they have for a long time i'd say the biggest question is what is it that keeps them in the rough and doesn't make them be the diamond bad hires but i think ego wise for head coaches i don't think it's a spot i He's think it's a it, good head
2: coach they've had R.C. 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 Slocum, Slocum was good yeah. he was really That's good before i was born huh? yeah
0: the wrecking crew. yeah
2: i mean and I'll say and this. Wasn't Mike Sherman? Was that a coach? Sherman was there for a I little mean, while. I Bay Packers yeah. Coach, yeah. I think he, was, he was the coach when we beat him
1: 77-0. No, that
0: no, was Franchione, no. That was Franchione. Like,
1: yeah. Alabama see, fans Francione was a. See, and that's why I'm saying every coach has an ego. Think about Dennis Franchione before he took the job. I know you're young for this, Little Reeves. What Mike the Sherman's the first time He was over. a hell of a coach. And everyone thought that was a great hire for A&M. Yep. Collapses. On, that, when I say it's a diamond and rough, what keeps him in the rough? It's kind of the same thing with Texas. It's the donors. Right. I think they have too much say, but also I think, I don't know, none of us know these guys personally, but it seems like head coaches have egos, always feel like they can be the one gets it over the top and is Laning going to be that guy that goes
0: guys the donors aren't going anywhere
1: right but so, do, but I think they always think oh I can go in and I'll just win right away and I can handle it
0: I don't see A&M being successful
2: I just
1: I, don't.
0: I, I, I mean i have never seen it
1: with your own eyes
0: <clears throat> exactly
2: the thing is 10 years ago you would have said Georgia's not going to be a perennial national championship team but they'd every at least season. been, they been had there some, they had some history they, they but some I get some what history, you're saying but I mean so I'm never yeah, won one in my lifetime right I yeah. get what you're saying. never really been close yeah, no. I, I until Kirby Smart. I mean, I, I'm with you. Mark Richt was good, but they but were that, not Kirby Smart. But Georgia. to be honest, what that's does
0: AM have this year? Three
2: losses. That's the funny
1: thing is I, I, don't what for, I don't get why I don't get I thought of it was three. It's been a train wreck down
2: there. It, it has. You're right. right. And the five and seven propelled it. But last but it,
1: year. but it's also the donors. I'm with no, you. Right. I mean, it's like of the but I mean, especially the losses. Look at the losses this The seasons. What's weird. That's like weird. Played.
2: I agree, but look at their losses this year. I think they lost by seven to Tennessee. They lost by seven to Bama, mm-hmm. and then by like three
1: to Missouri or uh, someone. That's it. You all and top I, top you top. and I are preaching. And they've had quarterback issues because of injury and exactly. everything else. I mean, they. And if, see,
0: so why would a head coach right now want to go? I want to jump into that, guys.
2: I'll it's take all it. legal. Them Everyone
1: thinks, and they're going to give them a hundred million. I don't I mean, think Landing takes it. I hey, just don't. Look at. I would take it because look at this. Way. They give me, <laughs> if they if they give me another deal like Jimbo. I'll take it. If yeah. they give me another deal like Jimbo. Oh wait, so I go suck three years and I get seventy five million not to do and my hey, job. Set up the rest of your life. And hey, if
2: I win one SEC title or hey, maybe even make the SEC title or I'd probably be- get a statue outside Beard. of kyle field. Yeah. Hey,
1: and I will say this. I will say this. i'm scarier now in the sense of like you could do something twelve team playoff. Yeah we forget true. about that. That's true. Heck this guy doesn't have to be as good as Jimbo or anything, but like Jimbo would have probably made the playoff at AMY if it was twelve teams Two three years ago, was it? What
0: What was you the know. other thing he was missing? Uh, an elite quarterback. I right. think if he had that, right. They're well, probably and the only good.
2: reason he got hired at A and M was because an elite quarterback, Jameis Winston. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, guys, he, look at his track record at Florida State. It was not impressive. Hey, you know what? You Jameis. want an interesting
1: stat I heard yesterday? He is now with this buyout. Just from A and M alone, made more money than Jameis Winston's yeah, made in the NFL. I saw that. Wow, unreal! Wow. It, but I mean, we could get off on that all day long. But yeah, that yeah. That, that that's interesting. I mean. I think Uh, the carousel is getting ready to be warped speed in the SEC because there are more coming. And real fast, one final statement you asked about Georgia. I think that's where A&M screws up because they go get that next big, sexy coach, right? What did Georgia do? They went out and just got a good coach, Kirby Smart, that was a defensive coordinator at the time. I think A&M, if they want to get the pressure off whoever the new head coach is, it would be better to go get a coordinator. Like get that top coordinator in the country where maybe your fan base realizes hey we got a new coach we gotta let while. this guy marinate
0: glenn schumann he's defense coordinator of georgia jeff levy yeah i don't see it with the off the field stuff all yeah, right
1: i'm telling you that's coming soon
0: we, yeah we, we need to recap another in-state team guys speaking of train wreck wow oh. the oklahoma state cowboys coming off a well their biggest win in program history Head down to UCF for a uh, Saturday morning tilt against Gus Malzahn and UCF. And to say they were never in it is an understatement. They are ripped 45-3. to They uh, looked like a completely different team. And what I thought when I watched it was this is the OSU that we saw to start the season. They kind of came back down to what I, I think they really are. Maybe a mix in between the two. But when they're not getting turnovers, not getting breaks, not getting penalties – well, that's kind of what they look like. And uh, it was no contest.
1: Well, it, and it's crazy watching that game. You're sitting there going, wow, why happened the week before? Well, a lot of those things that happened for Oklahoma State against Oklahoma, Rashad Owens making one handed mm. catches, die. You know <laughs> I mean, what I mean? Two insane catches. <laughs> yeah. In and we never but, even
2: brought up. Yeah. We never even brought up.
1: But I mean, like making the plays that you're like, oh, all of a sudden those plays weren't there. You know, Alan Bowman having to now instead of like it was competitive back and forth so they were able to run Ollie Gordon all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, got out. It was literally on Alabama's shoulders to get back in. Doesn't doesn't perform. You know, all those warts that we saw on this Oklahoma State team in the early going, I'm like you. I don't think there were the South Alabama team or the UCF team. I also don't think they're that five game winning streak team. Right. I think it's somewhere in the middle. And that's why I think these next two weeks very interesting for Oklahoma State.
2: I mean, it was just finally a game to me where everything didn't go their way, and they were faced with adversity early, and they did not respond. And I'm telling you guys, if OU got up 14-17-0 in that game, I think we all know what would have happened. Yep. It probably wouldn't have been a contest. But this OSU team is good when they're able to stay in the game until the fourth quarter, because when you have one of the best running backs in the nation, he becomes so valuable in close games like that. But Hey, guys, what happens when a torrential downpour of rain happens and you start the game down 21-0 and you have to rely on Alan Bowman now to lead you back? Not good. It's not going to work. OSU's game plan, they have to be in games or have a lead. They really cannot come back. We saw it in the South Alabama game, and I agree with you, Randy, that they're not that team. They're a better team than that. They're somewhere in the middle of they're good and they're bad, but we saw it in that game. Guys, when a team's able to run on them and gets a lead early – they're not going to be able to come back with Alan Bowman. And the refs
1: call pass interference. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, uh, yeah, they Reeves, you're exactly right. That's why those seven possessions Oklahoma had in the second half in Stillwater where they could have got more than a possession it lead. It would have ended the game. would have ended the game, have game because they the could game. not have just relied. Anyway, we're, we're dicing up old stuff. But, yeah, not good for the Cowboys uh, going back down to Fort Worth Saturday night. TCU, not been good all season, and they take the Texas Longhorns to the brink with Quinn Ewers back in his first game.
1: Hey, I sent you guys a text, and I wasn't kidding on Saturday. We were talking about Sark. I think he's proven one thing to me that sure. He's a good coach to average coach. And what I mean by that is, hey, look at the last, what, three games for them? Mm -hmm. Other than BYU. Really good at getting out and doing what you need to do to get out to that lead. I don't know if it's they don't know how to make halftime adjustments and the other coaching staffs in the other locker room do. I don't know what it is. But in the second half, it's like a different team comes out of the locker room. I mean, just like what happened Saturday. Look at that. They're up, what, three scores on TCU at halftime? And next thing you know, I'll be honest, I stopped watching the game. I started watching, well, Oklahoma was playing. I was watching more of it and flipping around to some of the other big games nationally. And I'm like, wait, Texas is down – are up 10? I'm like flipping back watching it because should have not been that way.
0: It's play calls, man. He kept running the ball. It was not there. The run game was not working. It was like he didn't trust Quinn to make a throw until he absolutely – it was weird to watch, and that's a couple games that's happened. To I know one. we
2: always find our way to circle back to Lincoln Riley, but it really reminds me of Lincoln Riley <clears throat> versus conference teams at OU when – there are so many opportunities to put your foot on the gas and go win the game. Mm-hmm. End, it. end it. Go up 21-28. It's over. But what do you do? You let the other team in. You turn the ball over a little bit. You have some conservative play calls to where you're really not stretching the ball down the field. You're just running it and saying, I think we can get by with this game. We saw it with Lincoln at OU. It comes back to bite you eventually. There's always a game where a team catches fire and beats you in the end. If I'm a Texas fan, I'm a little bit worried about this weekend because I think it's been culminating almost to all these three-point wins. I just think it's going to flip. Eventually, I was saying it with OSU. I said, this is the week it's going to flip versus UCF. They're going to have their number this week. Now, did I think it'd be 45-3? to Heck no. I thought it'd be 52-45, UCF. But I'm telling you, if you're Texas, y- you've got to start putting teams away in the first half. And they were up by on TCU, you know, a good amount at half. But it's like, Randy, you're right, in that second half, just... What's the game plan?
0: Yeah. What's yeah. the game plan? I, you're playing with fire when you do that. They can't
2: play not to lose. No. You know. Yeah. They're not playing to
1: win. They're playing not to lose, and there's a big difference there. They're an AD Mitchell, a great catchaway. Yes. Catch away. yes. Oh, yeah. From, in my opinion, probably losing that game because if he drops that. They're punting. What was there like a minute 45 left on the clock? And, and they're the cl- punting.
0: Clock stops. They, TCU gets the
2: ball back. It's it, either it, OT or, Yeah, it's or it, or either midfield. OT or TCU yeah. wins. Yeah. 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 TCU. Well, and wins.
1: I still think it's probably lost whether it goes to OT or not, because Brooks is out. Right. And they have no momentum. Yeah. And it's it's Katie barred the door. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting to watch them this week and the next two weeks really to see yes. how this team responds because they don't have Brooks anymore. Baxter's a really good running back. I like him a lot. Brooks is gigantic, guys. But there's a big difference. Like Baxter was yes. always great when he came in and relieved <clears throat> yes. Baxter Brooks, Brooks. seems
2: like like the third down back, like yeah. the the guy you like to mix in. But well, now is the
1: starter. Everything I'm, I'm, they
0: do revolves around Brooks. Uh, yeah, has, that's everything. what I'm saying. He's
1: a speed guy. No, Baxter and like when Baxter yeah. go first, second, like you say, third down, you put him in a, next thing you know, Baxter's twelve yards down the field. Yeah. Right. I don't know if you're gonna get that same Baxter if he knows I've got to carry the ball. Belko. 25 times a game.
0: I don't know, guys. Again, they're going to a very tough place to play in Ames, and a Iowa State team that, as Reeves said earlier this week, this is their last chance to play the Longhorns before they're out of the conference, and they will get Iowa State's best under Matt Campbell. but Who
1: looked really good last week.
0: Yes, the yes, they did. A, a monster. And, yeah, they played uh, Oklahoma's upcoming opponents. Funny, we should mention that, because we are about to have on uh, BYU Beat Rider that uh, covers the Cougars to kind of preview this matchup in Provo. As mentioned, we're uh, pleased to bring on Ben Criddle. He's with uh, ESPN Covers BYU Athletics. Ben, thank you for taking some time today, man.
3: Hey, appreciate you guys having me on. Hopefully your day's going well.
0: Yeah, bud. So we got a, a matchup. Oklahoma comes to Provo for the first time in program history. Not the first matchup between the two teams, but I know in media days, we were down there in Arlington, Coach Sataki was very excited for this opportunity to uh, to be in the Big 12. I don't I don't think things probably have gone according to script, but just kind of talk about where they are this week and then what are your overall impressions of of the program, you know, where they are right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, to your initial point, like I would say, like when you're talking about expectations for a BYU football program and, you know, off script, right – I mean, used five and five. Let's have some perspective here. They've been a, uh, a WAC member, a Mountain West Conference member, and, and during the last 50 years, they've won a lot of football games. They average eight wins a season, right? So there's a certain expectation. They've won a, a lot of football games in the last 50 years. So, um, and even during independence, they were averaging, you know, seven, eight wins a season. They had the 11 and one, 10 and three season. So they've experienced plenty of success um, and they got a, you know they have a fan base that has you know fairly high expectations I think the expectation going into this year was to get bowl eligible will they get there uh, you know to be determined I don't know if he was going to be able to knock off Oklahoma uh, but they've uh, they've had miracles in the past I guess versus Oklahoma like the 2009 game but but uh, yeah you're just as far as the expectations are concerned like going into this season, I think there was a significant segment of the BYU fan base that thought BYU would be 5-7, and seven, and at best 6-6, six and six, right? There were some blue-goggled optimists out there that were saying 7-5. and five. Guys like me, I was like, we can get to 7-5, right? You know, hyping up the fan base a little bit. Um, if things go right, if you stay healthy, et cetera. But um, I think BYU is actually on pace. I think the biggest issue right now is we're on track and on script the biggest issue right now is like the, the, the three-game losing streak and the margin of these losses, right, 30-point losses. So um, as far as where the, 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 the fan base and the media is at, all pessimistic. Internally, I think they're actually – the culture that Kalani Satake has set up is pretty positive. Um, they focus on the positive. They're, they're, they're optimists. As you guys know, typically – the the players will take on the personality of the head coach, right? They recruit certain guys that have a similar personality, and then they, they follow suit. So they're actually pretty upbeat, pretty positive, optimistic. Um, if you watch the film in any given series, any given play, any given game, and you look at it collectively, they're not so far off. Go back and watch the Texas game, right? We know how good Texas is. You guys know how good Texas is this year. Um, BYU's in that game. Like they gave that Texas team a little bit of hell, right? And uh, they were they're into the fourth quarter. Um, it, it looked competitive. It looked like something could happen, a, a a change of momentum, offensively, a score could have maybe flipped the script a little bit. But uh, you know, it it, it it kind of fell off, right? They weren't as consistent as they needed to be in the in the fourth quarter. So that's where we're at right now. Is there is some optimism going on, uh, you know, within the locker room. There's pessimism outside the locker room.
1: Hey, Benjamin, of course, the last three weeks you talk about it and how the games went for BYU. This week they get some good news. It looks like Kendall Slovis is going to be back, their starting quarterback. What's he mean differently for this team than where they were at before, when he was out? I mean, what's he bring to the offense that they maybe haven't been able to do over the last three weeks?
3: Uh, I'd say accurate passer when he's healthy. Right, I mean just baseline, he's a more accurate passer than, than Jake right now. Jake throws fastballs, he doesn't he doesn't throw many changeups, uh he's a gunslinger, just hasn't been overly accurate the last two games. And so he got a little he gets a little bit greedy because I mean he's a kid that at the JUCO level and the high school level threw for a ton of yards and a ton of touchdowns. I think a cumulative in his JUCO career is something like eight thousand yards throwing through the air and uh upwards of seventy touchdowns through the air. So like he, he, he's a little bit greedy, and he's seeing more athletic, uh, longer, uh, better coached defensive players and defensive schemes, right? So um, I think Keaton's seen a lot in his career that, that Jake hasn't. Jake has a running ability that uh, that Keaton doesn't have, but uh, Keaton, when healthy, is an accurate passer, and uh, uh, he's just seen a lot. He's seen a lot more, and so he may not get as rattled, as a young quarterback.
2: Hey, Benjamin. Hey, Benjamin. I know things haven't gone, particularly as planned, the last three weeks for BYU football, but obviously going into this game, it's still a huge game, playing OU at home. I mean, very big game. What do? You, what's kind of your anticipation for the crowd uh, on Saturday? Are the fans still going to show up? I think I know your answer to this one, but I wanted to get your opinion on it.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. a 10 o'clock game, right, on Saturday. And BYU's 5-5, five five, but they've lost three in a row. And there is uh, – the fans left at halftime. Like, half of the fans of the 60,000 that showed up to um, this Iowa State game, they left at halftime. So, um, you know, are they going to come out? I think so. I think you're going to get – anywhere from 56,000 to maybe 60,000 on a 10 o'clock kickoff. We don't see many 10 o'clock kiss, kicks. Like this is a rarity for BYU fans, especially during independence, right at home. We didn't experience this a whole lot. So it'll be interesting. I mean, you do have, um, within this culture, uh, BYU fans, they, if there's, if there's a, uh, maybe a family event occurring, um, we've seen it like with like halloween night or something like that you do get a certain segment of the fan base that may go take the time like a friday night kick on halloween you you may have a, a little bit more of a sparse um, uh, attendance but i i think i think when everyone saw the schedule to, to you know prior to the season everyone circled that oklahoma game and we all thought this is a game at least on our show we talked about this this is the game where you could get bowl eligible, right? Maybe, depending on how good you are at it. But that But we, we circled the last three games, and we're going to be fighting for eligibility in November. And you're there, BYU fans. So I think they're going to show up. I think fifty-six to 60,000 are going to show up. Um, by halftime, if it's a 30-point deficit, 25 point, 20, you know, 28-point deficit, then they could be leaving. <laughs> but uh, they'll, they'll always show up. They always show up.
0: Hey, Ben, all right, let's talk about the matchup itself. I don't know how familiar you are with OU, how much Oklahoma football you've watched this year. I mean, where do you think BYU matches up well? Would it be their offensive line versus Oklahoma's defensive front, maybe uh, BYU's defensive front against OU's offensive line? Kind of wh- where do you see maybe BYU having an edge on the field?
3: There's no there's no matchup where they have a competitive advantage. Like, I mean, there's, there's not. There, there's not a competitive advantage for BYU. Like their competitive advantage is, you know, playing at home in front of their home crowd and maybe there's, you know, it's it's maybe threefold in the sense that you could have some disruption of communication if BYU fans get loud enough. You're playing on a different surface that maybe you're not familiar with. Um, and, um, you know, and, and maybe I'm trying to think of if there's any other competitive advantage. Quite honestly, there there isn't because health-wise – you know, maybe BYU has a couple of guys coming back, but personnel versus personnel, resources versus resources, um, you know, coaching versus coaching, there's, there's really no excuse whatsoever for Oklahoma to lose this game. And, and furthermore, there's no excuse for them not to beat BYU by, by three scores. Uh, if you stack up recruiting classes next to each other, right, just do that. BYU averages over the last probably ten years – Right, I guess and I don't even go back that far. I go back six, right? Um, you know, roughly around seventieth per twenty four seven composite. Whereas Oklahoma, you guys are no better than me, but right. isn't it top ten, top fifteen? Right, year right year? on the
1: edge. Yeah, it's definitely top fifteen. Right, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah top, top fifteen, top ten depending on the year. So yeah, there, there, there's really no excuse whatsoever. Like you know how BYU wins these games is they typically have. If we go back to two thousand nine at Jerry's World. Um, what happened in that game. I don't know if you guys were covering it at yeah. the time, but let's just take, you know, the, the two opponents. BYU had back-to-back-to-back. Uh, to back to back. I was a part of the 6 07 team. We had double-digit victories uh, in those seasons, and we were ranked in the top 25, and you kind of had this crescendo of sorts. You had some really good prospects come in, NFL guys, Max Hall, Austin Colley, you know, Dennis Pitta, and you had some really good defenses as well playing great defense and then your starting quarterback got injured right I mean that Landry had to come in so you had like this perfect storm of events where and you guys also started a tight end at center a converted tight end at center which disrupted protection and and disrupted communication along the offensive line which allowed our weak side outside linebackers to to come free um uh, slide protection and and Sam didn't see it, and he got blindsided, and he had an AC joint separation that needed surgery eventually. You know what I mean? So that was a perfect storm. We had a really good team with NFL guys, you know, scattered on the offense and defense, and a, and a pre, pretty good in the trench game. We were, we were Simon Sound Gap Sound, and uh, there was an injury to a quarterback, a key player, and there was a momentum shift, and there wasn't any turnovers on BYU side. So that's the type of game that beats, okay, uh, an Oklahoma. The, the type of team that beats Texas at Texas or at home is one led by Taysom Hill, literally the most unique player in, in the NFL right now, right? Like, I'm sure you guys watched that Texas game back in yeah. maybe 2013, 2014, you know, those, mm-hmm. those two seasons. Like, you need transcendent individual players um, or you need something really special to happen collectively. And I don't know if this team is built – Either way, like there isn't a transcendent player on offense or defense right now. There's not a Kyle Van Noy on defense that can win you a football game. There's not a Taysom Hill on offense that can win you a football game. Like it has to be gritty, blue collar, overachieving, collective execution. And they haven't even put together a complete game anyway all season. You've seen a, a good half versus Texas Tech. You want to go back and watch that film. You, you, you know, you've seen a good half in the second half versus Cincinnati. Uh, you're maybe, arguably, maybe your most—I don't know if it's even your most complete game. You could maybe say the Kansas game was your most complete game, but you had like two, three plays that were just, um, you know, just just bad decisions or ball security issues, and it, it it let Kansas, you know, stay in the game and win the game. So, um, there's re- I can't I can't pick out one and say you guys are gonna have trouble with this guy. Right. If Kingsley, I'll give you an example. Like offensive tackle, left tackle. He's a first-round NFL draft pick. Athletically, right. Kingsley, if he, when he shows up on any given play, he's better than probably what he's going against athletically. And he's big. He's strong. He's fast. He's violent. But you know, you got to create consistency with a young player. So, um, you could say, hey, you know, running that outside zone to Kingsley's side, maybe he's, you're more likely to get the edge with a running back. Right. But um there, I can't, I can't honestly, objectively say that there's any sort of competitive advantage anywhere personnel-wise. And then when you talk about resources and recruiting and scheme uh, or uh, or coaching, like name one coach on BYU's coaching staff roster that Oklahoma would go and 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 hire as a position coach or anywhere. Like you know what I mean? Like maybe Kalani, the head coach, and you'd want to bring him in and and you'd want him to you know, go and get a Polynesian pipeline come in as maybe a uh, an extension of Venables as a D.C. Maybe that, yeah. right, Yeah, for recruiting, and, and but he's still running Venables' scheme. So that's where we're at. It's David versus Goliath, guys. Like, that's, 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 that's the nature of this game. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying David can't win this, right, but, you know, um, I, I don't know if, if 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 god is really paying attention to this particular day
0: of <laughs> oh uh benjamin criddle uh covers BYU for ESPN well ben i know that you're going to watch the game regardless you know how you think the outcome might shake because look there's a reason they play the game you know they say that yep. for a reason you know anything can happen and we're we're all going to be tuning in bright and early this is Oklahoma's earliest kickoff since the 2001 Cotton Bowl in Dallas so uh, everybody get your your green eggs and ham and uh tune in yeah uh, well Ben thank yeah, you Yeah what for- are
3: you guys going to be doing pregame what are you guys going to be doing Sleeping. what are you guys going to be seeing <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, that's, exactly. Like, I mean, what are the fans going to be doing? I guess, what do they want to, what do they want to kind of experience here?
1: Well, I know this much, Ben. Um, I was looking on Twitter today and you know, how like every school has an alumni group in certain cities. I saw the B Y or the Oklahoma alumni group in Salt Lake from Salt Lake city. That had tailgates yeah. all planned at some, I can't even remember the name of the restaurant. from there. They had to alter those because the restaurant will not even be open. It's not open. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, I know some fans are going up there. A lot of them seem – they were very disappointed because yes. they want – you know, it's Oklahoma's only time to go to BYU since they're leaving the conference, and they wanted to yeah. go see the atmosphere, what tailgating was like, what everything was like on a game day. And I know a lot of them are very disappointed because you're not yeah. going to get to experience that. It's kind of sad, and kind of my final thought on this is – I hate what network television is doing it. You just think they would take time zones into effect mm-hmm. and making a decision. I was shocked. This sure. was not a seven o'clock Utah time kickoff because you guys have had what three conference home games and two of them mm-hmm. have been seven o'clock at least. Right.
3: Yeah. They're all pretty late five yeah. to, to, to seven to eight. You know, that's where we we kind of reside. In so yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you this. If you guys want to hang out, like I decided to do a Pre-game tailgate. Like I had no idea it was going to be 10 a.m. So we typically were across the street from Lavelle Edwards stadium. We have a a group that has it's called Bander investment. They come out with their, their RV and they they'll feed whoever shows up. Um, We should have some of our vendors out there, some of our sponsors and ice cream and food and things of that nature. So if you guys do want to spot, if you guys want to, uh, do a pregame show from, like, 7 to 10. That's when I'm going to be doing mine outside of Lavelle. We're, we're across the street from Lavelle at the Chevron. I can give you some space. We can bring in the Oklahoma fans. We can try to just feed you guys free food and uh, and kind of have, like, a tandem. If you want to do something like that, we could do it. And it, it could be wet. It could be cold. But, you know, it could be a, a cool thing, and we could just have a, 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 a huge group of Oklahoma fans Right across the street. I want to see that uh, that 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 uh, that red, that crimson out there.
1: I think you're going to see a lot of that, and you know we may take you up on that. I got a couple of guys set it up there, and maybe in touch, Benjamin. But thank you for your time. Yeah, man. let me know. All right, we'll appreciate do. you guys.
3: Thanks, no uh, Thanks so much.
0: And that was Benjamin Criddle covers BYU. Want to thank him. Uh, I know he's a busy guy with ESPN guys, and wow, uh, not a lot of. Uh, optimism for the for the BYU Cougars from old Ben uh just waving the white flag no area on the field is there a competitive advantage no uh, coaching advantage no nothing
1: okay guys okay look <laughs> That's a I appreciate digest. his time it, it was interesting because I actually did like the honesty but it's so funny to hear the difference in the interview when we started it you almost felt like he man was this defending. guy's homer I mean yeah. like you know and not in a negative way but like He's gonna say here and tell us how BYU's got this great shot, and then get to that question. And you're ooh, kind of like, "Oh, oh okay." <laughs> I mean, he's not even taking any of the coaches over. Hey, OU coaches, they don't want your. They don't want to bring their offensive coordinator. They, no. you know, they take Levy over over their guys. So, I mean, it's just so interesting. But it's also nice to hear a guy speak with facts when he talks about the recruiting rankings yes. so about everything. I was like going. Hey, we don't we don't match up. And he's not wrong. And and it's kind of funny. It it is scary playing BYU for Oklahoma fans. Yes. Cuz of the Sam Bradford year. But yeah, think back to that year. Were they better team than Oklahoma? Probably not if Bradford's healthy. Yeah. It took knocking him out early in the game for BYU to win.
0: Let me just say this about that. Kansas and Oklahoma State don't compete with OU recruiting either. I'll, just, right. I'll leave you with that.
1: No, I agree with that. But I'm just saying in general, it's like for BYU to win games against an Oklahoma, he's right. Or a Texas. It takes almost miracles like things happening, injuries and stuff like that. Well, not the 94
0: Copper Bowl, if you recall. Um, that,
1: yeah, that was a miracle. No, that was called... The next head coach is in the booth. That team had already quit. Yeah, I mean that. Think about it.
0: Thirty-four to six. I think, think
1: about the times they've lost. It, it's been weird. It's been freaky he, But he's right, guys. I mean, even the year that you know they beat Texas, it took a transition. You know, Baseball, a, yeah. a great athlete, great quarterback, and that's one thing. You watch this BYU team. It is a weird. I've watched them a few times, and I've always followed BYU throughout mm. the years. They've always got like that one player, like that's an NFL guy. You know, like, at a skill position, whether even it's running back Rams or receiver. rookie receiver
2: this year, Puka? Yeah, yeah. Who's leading rookies in receptions. He's from BYU. Great yeah. uniforms, too, at BYU. And by
1: that way. goes back to my point. There's always that one guy, Reeves, that you go, that guy's an NFL guy. I, I, I've watched them on the skill positions this no, year. Not there. There's not one guy you go, that guy's an NFL guy. No.
2: No, because even if they had, you know, a beast receiver or running back who would have the potential to carve OU up on Saturday, I mean – uh, the guy we just had on, I mean, he there's not one guy, really, <laughs> on this offense yeah, that he's saying he's a difference maker. Like, even with OSU, I mean, you're like, okay, Ollie Gordon, he's a guy that could do some damage. Yeah. Brennan Presley, he's a guy that could do some damage. Yeah. Some of the receivers, but nothing for, for BYU, it sounds like nothing. nothing. But, I mean, yeah. still a game you don't want to overlook. Yeah. It, I mean, I mean that's a ten. ten. It's a 10 a.m. local kick. Yep. And And, guys, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Whose advantage do you think it plays more so, too? Do you think it would have been more advantage OU or BYU if it was a 7 o'clock kick BYU, opposed to this
0: 10 a.m.? Yeah, BYU, not given Provo, did not want So you think the early doubt. start
2: is good for OU? Yes.
0: Oh, well,
1: Without I think overall it's one-hour difference from where they played seven games this year. Right. true. And, and you heard St- this week on the Stutzman Spotlight on the franchise, he talked about he goes, you know, really it's not that much difference right. for us. You know, it's what we've been doing all year long. Fine. They wake up for team breakfast at – five instead of six i mean yeah i know that's still early but for byu they're going what time are we getting up yeah i mean and now if this was on the west coast it would really be interesting because there would be more of a time differential you know yeah but it being just one hour difference i mean you're waking up you know, you're going out there at 10 a.m.
0: Guys, what did we say when this schedule came out? Ooh, BYU and
1: Provo. Oh, we looked night at this game, game. Yeah. Provo. We looked
2: at this game and said this is the game at the end of the year you could lose. Because
0: we thought it would be a night game, right? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Get them all moved you. up all day. This is to OU's benefit.
1: I've been getting everything together last week, even though we knew it was a six-day window, and talking to Eddie, Ryan, everyone, we're all like, going, yeah, it's 8-15, maybe 9-15 kick, no. you know. I mean, no one thought. No one thought. I mean, when I got the alert on Saturday night, I'm about to go to bed. I've been up watching football all night. OU football doesn't tweet it out until I think it was like 1145. Mm-hmm. I had to double check that wasn't some fake OU football account putting right. that out. Because I'm like, there is no way they're putting a the game in mountain time zone.
0: At 10 in the morning.
1: 10 in the morning.
0: Well, they did. And that's a big 12 conference for you. Probably, a, a, you know, it plays into why Oklahoma and Texas decided to dip. Because Oklahoma 100%. said morning. And I know
1: networks time. make the decision. But that's one of the time slots. The Big 12 should have been able to go, guys, Come we on. don't want to. I'm the Big 12. Wouldn't you want to take down Oklahoma? You don't want Oklahoma in your title game. There's a legit shot that could make the title game. i big gun. hey, ESPN, we want them at eight. Can we please move well, that? Because I think the cluster? weird thing,
0: there were two networks that could be on ABC or ESPN. So there were options yeah. here. I mean, that's that's the crazy thing when you look at it. But
1: And like the other game right now is Texas-Iowa State. I get it, It's a great game, Texas at Ames. It's a great game. And I wouldn't want to put OU-BYU on ABC. But at the same time, doesn't logic kick in at some point in time and go, this is for the kids, this is for the student-athletes. We don't want to put our student-athletes out on a football field at 10 a.m. local time. Starting a game. Going through walkthroughs one thing. I don't think day.
0: logic plays into much anymore, guys.
2: Uh, I hate to flip the subject on you guys, but there's actually some big Big 12 news dropping Uh-oh. Uh-oh. recently. Um, so the sellout sellout crowd released kind of a confusing article, if I'm being honest, saying the Big 12 tiebreaker clarification helps OSU hurts OU. Everyone was confused about it. Jacob Unruh, who covers OSU for the Oklahoman, quote tweeted it and said, looks like the Big 12 is going to clarify the rule that oh. would have Oklahoma State miss the title game should it finish tied with OU and K-State. Teams the Cowboys beat. The clarification would give OSU the tiebreaker because of the wins. Whoa. So, sounds like they're changing the rules with two weeks to go.
0: Well, I'll tell you uh, what. If Iowa State beats Texas Saturday, none of that matter, matters. It doesn't matter, but still. But I'm,
1: wait. I, I agree head-to-head should be the thing. Yes. I And so, I don't have a problem with it. I do have a problem with it. You're changing it now. Yes. That the narrative's about to change. That's my problem with it. Yes. Yeah. And you wonder why Oklahoma is getting out of this league. Yes. You wonder why Texas is getting out of this
2: league. I mean, if we're being honest, why did they go away from divisions, even adding the teams?
1: I don't well, know. I, I don't know. A lot divisions of people don't, don't want divisions. This, I don't understand. I don't That's
2: fair, but divisions would have made this way much more simple. Would well, have it? Yeah. I mean,
1: because then you potentially, let's say Texas does lose Saturday. Then you got a three-way tie, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. That's a good point. That's a good point. So So maybe divisions doesn't really solve this. It doesn't. I mean, all right, I'm going to say this this much. This is what drives me nuts about the Big 12. They're doing the right thing, but this is also something if you had any brains about yourselves in the offseason when you're putting this scenario together. You
0: do it
2: then.
1: You should have done then. Not when you realize, oh, hell. It's almost like they
2: did not foresee this coming. Right. Shocker.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, the Big 12 has their shortcomings, guys. There is a, a very valid reason why both Oklahoma and Texas decided to head elsewhere. This
1: conference is basically about to be in a war with the ACC. Yep. To who can survive. Right now, I'm going to give it up to your mark. I think the Big 12 is going to survive. The ACC is getting ready to die a slow and painful death, They got to feel.
0: I think you, there's a couple of things need to happen for that. I think Utah needs to really be the team people think they will be to carry the banner for the Big 12. If not...
2: And dion has got to stay at Colorado.
1: They,
0: and that's that's a big if, guys. Not
1: the only thing. The fact that Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina are all getting out of the ACC, probably.
0: It, when that happens, it's dead. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, when that happens, that's a- dead.
1: And to be honest, that's the reason they're getting out. It's kind of the same reason that the Big Twelve is going to survive. Give it up to your mark. He went and got those teams we just talked about. ACC adds SMU, Stanford, and Cal. Where's Clemson, Florida State going? Oh, uh, there's. It's either gonna. Looks like. I mean, all the rumors are pretty strong. It's gonna be the Big Ten or the SEC. SEC, or some
2: some. The SEC makes sense for Florida State. I mean, it makes sense for Clemson. Clemson too. Yeah, yeah. South
1: Carolina.
2: Clemson's kind of trending down right now, though. So
0: Dabo pulled yeah. off a big win a few weeks ago, though.
1: People Dabo A and as, somebody, <laughs> I, uh, as, someone said, he, as someone said, he now knows how to lose four games.
0: <laughs> and get paid well for it. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of uh, DNR Report through 107.7 The Franchise. We'll be back with you guys this week with our pick-em to uh, dissect the upcoming games a little bit more. But for Randy Heights, Reeves Mitchell, and Dave Myrick, I'd like to thank Ben Criddle for coming on. We'll talk to you guys down the road. And that interview brought to you by Bob Hurley RV. Hurley RV is the largest RV dealer in the state of Oklahoma with over a thousand units on their lot, both new and pre-owned. Also, if you are waiting for a camper to get fixed, have it in service somewhere, long line, long wait, go get it, take it over to Hurley. They're ready to get it fixed and get you back on the road where you belong. Hurley RV carries the full line of Fleetwood, Integra, Cougar, and Passport travel trailers and fifth wheels. Sales manager Michael Day has anything you're looking for in the world of toy haulers, RVs, and anything else. Hurley RV is at 8606 North I-35 Service Road, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma.